Hello and welcome everybody. This is BA in Science. I'm Maggie and that's Brenna and we're very excited you're here to listen to us talk about badass humans who also happen to be scientists. So Brenna, are you ready for this? I think so. You think so? Well, I'm I'm very excited. And I know that everybody says that at the start of their podcast, but like it is legitimately true today. I'm excited um, to be starting with this. Um, but before we could get started, there's some like odds and ends that we want to deal with, um, you know, just like every good podcast has. Um, but today's main business is an origin story because every awesome anything has an origin story. Um, so if you are a close friend of mine, you have heard this story at least four times in the past two weeks. And I love you for listening to this and you're going to hear it again because I like the story and I'm telling it. Uh, it's my podcast and I can do it. This is how this whole thing got started. Um, my sister, Bruna, uh, started listening to this podcast, Will Kill You, um, which is a fabulous podcast about um, infectious diseases and the two Aaron's both girls are named Aaron. They're incredibly smart. They're fun. Um, their podcast is really engaging and, um, well-researched. And, um, so Brett, how, Brett, how long have you been listening to it? I think a student of mine actually suggested it, um, like early 2020, I want to say, or maybe it was even the semester before. So it might've been fall 2019. So it's been a, it's been a while since I've been jumping on that bandwagon. So, and, and you told me about it sometime during the past year, um, because we all needed something to do, and that was yeah. a really good thing to do. So, um, now, background for those of you listening that are not close friends of me and Brenna, um, I am a mathematician by education, and Brenna, is, like, are you a professor now? Like, what's your actual title? In your uh, technically, I'm an assistant professor. I'm in my fourth year. I think that's right. Um, I think I'm in my fourth year or maybe I'm going in. I don't know. Going into my fourth year of teaching or maybe my fifth. Um, but yeah, I'm a professor of chemistry. Okay, excellent. So we are math and science types. Um, so obviously listening to this, uh, to TPWKY was like, it, it was very engaging for me. Um, so I'm listening to this podcast and I started listening at the beginning. I went back to show one. I listened to all the shows and I was like, this is great. I was like, I had no idea because it was the first podcast I ever listened to. It was great. And I was like, there got to be more of these out there because I'm going to run out of these episodes at some point. And then then what am I going to do? So I started looking at podcasts that were similar to this. And so I would find one and listen and it wasn't quite what I wanted. And it wasn't just wasn't finding anything that was, you know, the thing. So I was like, I think I need to do a podcast. So April, I went back in our text message conversation. So it was April of this year. Um, I texted Brenna and I was like, we need to start a podcast. And Brenna was like, uh, because we're smarter and funnier than literally everyone. And I was like, yeah, I'll tell you right now, she was kidding. And I was absolutely not at all. Um, and that is all you need to 100% know. true. <laughs> that is all you need to know about our personalities right there. Right. So, um, and I was like, oh yeah, totally. Um, and I was like, but what would it even be about? And she's like, I don't know. And I said, I don't know, science, math, history, books, something. I don't know. We all, we like all those things. And then Brenna said that 
like she thought doing like history biography of badass scientists would be sweet. And I thought, oh yeah, actually that does sound very interesting. And also like in my, I had taught a biochemistry class this past uh, spring and in the biochemistry class, guys, I'll admit biochemistry is not like my favorite area of chemistry. Um, So I kind of was looking to liven it up a little bit because for me, it felt so much more like a biology class. Don't at me chemistry haters and biology lovers, but um, I just needed something else to engage with the material, I think. And so I would start looking up the background of some of these people that we were talking about in the biochemistry class, because again, you know, we might mention, Oh, so-and-so did this. And then we move on. So I would start looking at these people and I ended up going down these big rabbit holes and I'd get to class and my students just started laughing. They would just know, they would just expect when they came to class, Oh, here, she's going to talk about some kind of like history. We're going to get a history lesson about somebody or something. And so I had been doing that in my class and I was having a lot of fun with it. So I think that kind of was um, a little bit of motivation for me as well. Well, and because you were going to be a history major until you decided on chemistry. So you've always liked research and you've always appreciated those other things. Mm -hmm. Um, So we we chatted about that for a little bit. Time passes. um, But this idea for me just will not go away. Um, And usually when that happens, it means I need to do it. Um, so I start looking into it, like, how easy, like, I don't know how to start a podcast. I don't have audio recording equipment. I don't know how to do this. Like, does it cost money? What, how does it, how, how, how does the internet work? You know, all of those kind of questions. Um, so then Brenna sent me a text about, hey, look up Maud Menton. Um, this, I'll say chemist. She was so much more than that. We're going to talk about her. But I look her up and I look at who she was as a person. And I was just like, she's a badass. This is a person I want to know. I want like, she's a fascinating human being, even if she wasn't a scientist. Um, and so I started a list of people who I was like, who else is out there? I start doing some research. I get a gigantic list together. Um, and then, you know, again, Brent and I are talking and I was like, oh my gosh, we should call it BA in science. Cause you know, like bachelor of arts, but it's not, it's science, but it's badasses. And, that. and she was like, yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> I um, and I was like, but isn't it so clever? And she was like, yeah, it's fine. She didn't hate it. So I was like, okay, that's a yes. Um, so then that's, just, that's how just, most things in our sister sister relationship happen. So, you know, it's true. pretty powerful fact, the course. In fact, this origin story, it, like if you want to know exactly how our life has been as sisters, this origin story is the, because at this point I'm all in, I listen, I'm a force of nature. When I get going, I am doing this. I'm having this podcast with whether she's there or not, but like, she just needed another small nudge and it really was small. I just nudged her into it. Um, and we started making plans. And I think Brenna, once you started, um, doing the research, I think you said to me like, okay, this, this is going to be fun and good. Yeah, definitely. So our podcast is born. And we started doing research. We started putting things together. I made cover art. I made, I found music that was like royalty free because it's royalties are expensive. And, um, you know, all these other kind of things. And we start telling family members. I've told, I don't know, 400 people, 10 people. I don't know. I've told a lot of people. Um, you've told people though, right? Yeah, I have. Finally. It took me a lot longer. None of my friends will say, oh, I've heard this story six times before. 
literally all the people that are listening to this that know my name have heard this story in some version or another. And that's fine. They can skip it if they want to. They don't have your input in it, though. So I hope they listened. Um, but um, and then um, so we're, we're down to it. We're getting ready to record the trailer. Um, and my again, if you need to know anything about our family, this story will tell you <laughs> everything you need to know. My sister is with um, our dad, and he tells her. Well, I, right I think I mentioned. I think I mentioned that I felt weird saying like "ba" like on this podcast because I'm still like, what if my mom listens? And it's just like a hard thing for me to get get over. So I was kind of mentioning like, oh, I got, I, I don't want to just like say that word and have my mom hear me say it. So, so. Um, because you have to know that our, we've never heard our mom say a cuss word. Um, Ever. Which she's, she is the, one of the most elegant and charming and proper ladies and raised us to be the same. But both of us are fully capable of cussing like sailors and we do all the time. But not in front of mom. Absolutely not. I'm still claiming mm-hmm. I don't do that. Okay. Brenna doesn't cuss like a sailor. I, I, I don't. Do. We're not, not going to cuss on this podcast because one, mom's listening. And two, Jesus is listening. And three, <laughs> we want homeschool families with children to listen. And we don't we <laughs> like, you know, we don't want to have an explicit warning on our podcast. So we, cause we both have small children. So, um, so dad's like, just call it evil donkeys. <laughs> and my sister's like, what? You know, evil doggies, <laughs> bad asses, and, and so we're supposed. He tells me this, and and I said, okay, first of all, that's something Dad would definitely say. Second, then we would have to call it ED in science, and I absolutely <laughs> do not want that at all for any reason. <laughs> Did, didn't make it better. Didn't it's make not, it a better name. No. It did not make it a better name. So we're no. going to stick with BA, badass in science. And um, we will abbreviate that as BA a lot of the time, again, because we do want kids to be able to listen. And if that's a word that makes you, you know, uncomfortable, we'll abbreviate it BA most of the time. Um, so, but I've, I've said, you know, BA in science like 18 times. So I'm going to let Brenna tell you more about this part. Like, what is a BA in science? So essentially what we're counting as, um, you know, a BA in science is just somebody who's a BA human being and they also happen to do science. So I think you mentioned earlier, I mean, Maude Menton would have been amazing even if she hadn't done a lot of the things that she had done just because just her whole life was just amazing. Um, and it really does to point on, uh, you know, your point of view, I guess, as far as whether that makes somebody a BA or not. Um, but, you know, everything kind of depends on point of view. So for us, our only criteria is that the person is a BA and that's it. And honestly, we get to decide if they're a BA. So you can disagree or agree, but we're going to decide whether they're a BA or not. Um, but I guarantee you they were all be doing science. Uh, so there will definitely be that. Um, but yeah, we want to highlight kind of their, their, the rest of their life as well. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I, um, it, I'll tell you right now, if Cheyenne retiring 
are two words that you would find under their biography on blessed, glorious Wikipedia. Absolutely, we're not including them here. <laughs> the people that we're including here, no one would ever say they were shy. Yeah, I think that I think that's going to be pretty true. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So, um, so let's talk about episode flow. And this, honestly, I think was both of our idea, right? Like because yeah, I th- I think we both had a hand in this. Do you want to explain it? Yeah. So basically, um, we just figure that each week we'll talk about a BA that did some science. Um, but again, we're going to talk about, we'll kind of break it down. We'll talk about his or her life first. Um, just who they were, when they were born, all the things that make them a BA human. Um, and then uh, like after that, we'll get into more nitty gritty about their science. We'll keep it, you know, I mean, look, we're not experts on some of these fields, but we'll get into some of their science, why it was important, um, those kinds of things. And then um, once we get through all of that, we're both going to talk a little bit about, you know, why why are we glad that they existed or why are we glad that we got a chance to know them and research them and uh, that kind of thing. And then we're going to just kind of take turns with the biography and the science parts of the episode. So because I'm a chemist, I'll do anybody who's related to chemistry and I'll pick up the biology as well. And then since Maggie has that math background, I'm going to throw all the physicists and the mathematicians uh, to her as well. So some weeks Maggie will start off with the biography. Some weeks I'll start. Um, And yeah, that's kind of how the, the episode will go. Awesome. Um, so that is what you can expect from us. That's how we got started. Um, and so we have a fabulous and exciting human being for you today. Um, who my kids actually, I'm a homeschool mom and, um, my kids actually learned about him this year. And so I, I got to use some of the homeschool materials I had to research him. Um, spoiler alert, it's a dude. Um, but we think that this guy is our archetypal, BA. If you're not at least as completely ridiculous as this dude, you did not make the cut for this show. Like, period. Would you say that's true? I don't, well, he might be setting the bar a little high because even so far, some of the other ones I've I've researched, I mean, they're pretty awesome. But I don't know. This guy's extra, and I love it. And I feel like it's a great way to start things off because we just like go big or go home. This guy is definitely like the go big or go home guy. So yeah. That's true. I think we're kind of setting it high. We'll still have some pretty exciting people, but I don't know. Some of the stuff you're going to think I'm making it up. So it it, it is just, uh, it's just going to be great. So, um, so if you don't have any other um, beginning of the show stuff, um, why don't we take a quick break and then we will start on our badasses life and time. Sound good. Sounds good. All right, let's take a break. All right, friends, let's get started on the biography of our dude, the life and time. Um, The way that we're gonna start all of these biography sections, um, we want to give you a quote that kind of gives you the flavor of the kind of person that we're dealing with. Um, And sometimes it'll be a quote that the person said, sometimes it will be um, something that someone said about this person. Um, So I'm gonna, toss it over to Brenna and let her tell us the quote, tell us the person, and tell us about this dude. All right, so our quote to start off is, and when statesmen or others worry him, the scientist, too much, then he should leave with his possessions. 
So basically what this quote is saying is I'm just going to take my ball and go home um, or maybe leave home and go somewhere else. So this quote was said by a guy named Tico Brahe. And that's what this episode is going to be about. Awesome. So yeah, we're just going to get into it. Uh, if that doesn't give you an idea of what kind of guy this was, I think you'll find out as we go through his biography. Um, so yeah, so I guess I'll just dive right in. Okay, so I first have to say that as I was researching Tico Brahe, <clears throat> I kind of like wrote some notes down and it's like a kidnapper, a dwarf and a moose walk into a bar. It's like the beginning of a really, really bad joke. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know the part about the dwarf. I'm so excited to hear this. Okay, <laughs> okay. so I mean, I feel like most of this is pretty reliable. I tried really hard to fact check, it, check as much as possible. Um, so yeah, we're gonna be talking about a kidnapper, a dwarf and a moose um, among other things, okay. So first, what I want to do, um, so Tico Brahe was, a, um, was Danish, and so I couldn't tell you a thing about Danish history, to be honest. Um, so what I wanted to do, or what helps me, I guess, is I know what was going on in other parts of the world um, during these different time periods, and so it kind of just gives you a little context or kind of lets you know, like, who were contemporaries or who would have been living at the same time as this guy and what's going on in the world. Um, Cause that oftentimes plays a really large role in, you know, what we see with them. Right. So Tico was born in December of 1546. So he's going to, and he dies in 1601. So he was basically spanning that second half of the 16th century. Right. Um, so what's happening on happening in the world? Um, the Renaissance, you may have heard of it. That really, um, I think, I think it came to most of the rest of Europe outside of Italy a little bit later. So I think um, England and Western Europe are really in the, you know, um, the, the main that or the high point of the Renaissance and culture and art and science. Um, those are all things that people are now um, having the time to do because People aren't having to worry as much about just, you know, dying from every disease in the world. Um, I mean, they still have plague and stuff, you know, that happens a little bit uh, still during this time period, but it's not anything what it used to be. And so the Renaissance is just this amazing period of time where people don't just exist and do the job or the trade that they have to do. They can explore arts and science and that kind of thing. Um, so Queen Elizabeth of England, Queen Elizabeth I, you might have heard of her as well. She reigned from 1568 to 1603. So she would have been in power for pretty much most of Tico's life, which doesn't matter for Tico, but just again, context of like what's going on in the world. Um, exploration was huge. Um, Sir Francis Drake circled the world um, in 1577 to 1580. We've got North and South America being colonized, um, which, you know, I'm not getting into the politics of colonization or anything like that. Okay, but just saying that exploration, colonization, a lot of that's happening. Um, Roanoke was founded in 1585, for example. Okay, so that's kind of what's happening here at the end of um, or the the second part of the 16th century. Um, you know, I only mentioned Russia because we're going to end up talking about people from Russia. Um, Ivan the Terrible is. I guess being terrible over in Russia at this time. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's being terrible. He came up when I was looking up something else being, about being Tico. terrible. Yeah. Being terrible over there. 
Um, and the Protestant Reformation is also underway, right? So Martin Luther kicked off the Reformation in the early 1500s. So that's also something that's still really, honestly, in its infancy, um, as far as that goes, too. So just a lot going on. Other contemporaries or other people that would have been alive during Tycho's lifetime are people like William Shakespeare, who was born in 1564, um, Galileo, who was born in the 60s, uh, Miguel Cervantes, who wrote Don Quixote. Um, so just a lot of um, really amazing stuff happening at this time. Um, you know, there's also not great stuff happening at this time, but, you know, plague in London and I think, didn't Queen Elizabeth have Mary Queen of Scots killed? I don't know. So not some great stuff, but overall, we're in a really nice time period of just, uh, I don't know, arts and culture and science and everything. Okay, so that's our little background, just to give you some uh, brief history of where we are in the world. So into this world comes little Tige Otteson Brahe. Uh, and as you might have guessed, since his name is Audison, he's Ade's son. Um, and he is born in a place called Scania, I think is how you say it. Guys, I'm probably going to butcher most of these names. I'll abbreviate a lot of times because it's just better. Um, but Scania is under Danish control, but it's actually the bottom, from what I read, it's the bottom of the peninsula of Sweden. So again, I don't know a lot about boundaries and Swedish history, Danish history, that kind of thing. So I guess um, Dan the Danes controlled part of Sweden too at some point. Um, so he's born basically in Sweden, but he's Danish. All right, so he's got an uncle, Jürgen, who I'm just gonna call Uncle Jay. And Uncle Jay and Auntie Inger don't have any kids. So from what I read, supposedly Ade, uh, Tige's dad is like, Dude, you for sure you can have my firstborn if it's a boy, because you need an heir. You've got all the stuff for somebody to inherit. And what I think happened is the wife probably found out and was like, excuse me, no, you're not giving our kid away. Um, but Tige is born, and his dad's like, JK, like, you can't actually have my son. Um, and so... I read he was about two, and it was only after the Brahes have a second son, Uncle Jay just kidnaps him. He's just like, nah, dude, I'll just take him. It's cool. I'll just, you know, whatever. So they take off, and I read something like, you know, there's all this, oh, I'm going to kill you, and, you know, threatening stuff. But it feels like they didn't really try that hard. Um, and I think um, some of the thought, I feel like they were just like, oh, well, at least he'll get all of Uncle Jay's stuff when he dies. Like, he'll inherit that. So I guess that's cool. Um, and the Brahis go on to have like 12 kids, I think, and eight survive to adulthood. So I guess they're just like, oh, we got extras. So it's fine. We got extras. No, no big deal. Um, so that's how little Tige starts his life. And I'm saying his name T-Y-G-E um, because that's what he was born. And now I'm going to just switch over to calling him Tico because at some point he does Latinize his name. I don't know that I know exactly when, um, but it's just easier to call him Tico um, than going back and forth. So we're going to call him Tico at this point off or from this point on. All right. So Uncle Jay is raising Tico. Now, the Brahes, as a high-ranking noble family, would really have been about um, military training for their sons, especially their firstborn. Like, um, Ade is a pr privy counselor. He's governor of a castle. He's got a lot of important, you know, nobleman stuff going on. Um, but 
I, I read and I don't know which source, but I did read a source that actually said it was that it was anti Inger, who was all about an academic education. And I don't want to talk too much about his education, but she was more in, um, interested in him getting the academic education. Um, so he went that route instead of had he not been kidnapped, he would have just been like training for the military. So I guess maybe his kidnapping was a good, I, I don't think we could say it was a good, I don't know. It all worked out. I guess it all worked out. What you're saying is it's complicated. It's complicated, but okay. you know, we can agree on that. I don't know. I mean, I feel like he, it doesn't sound like he lived a terrible life. I mean, he got kidnapped. I'm like using air quotes, but I mean, they weren't but, like doing anything awful. They actually just wanted a son. So they probably treated him pretty good because he was their heir and like, that's all they had. So he probably lived a cush life. I mean, let's be honest. I, I know a little bit more just because the path that his uncle chose for him determined a lot of what he did in science so I'm mm -hmm. going to go ahead and say that your your assessment on that is correct based on what right. I know what I'll talk okay. about cool he could have had it worse and it, it, it wasn't like he was a stranger everybody knew Uncle Jay it was fine it was probably fine it was probably fine um and I just will really briefly he does go to the University of Copenhagen to study law when he's like 15 um he studies again in Leipzig and then again I'm going to save that a little bit for Maggie's but basically all of that education is funded by Uncle Jay so I feel like his parents are probably like cool our son's getting an education we don't have to pay for it um yeah all right this is working out I, I don't know that they were in love with what he was choosing to do but you know they weren't paying for it and it's, it's okay all right, so I'm gonna fast forward a little bit in his life just because I am not going into his schooling and really where his um, you know, beginnings of uh, contributions to science started. So I'm just gonna cover the, the juicy stuff. So we're gonna fast forward to 1566, so he's 20. Um, and he and his third cousin, um, Mandarup Parsberg, they get into a fight about mathematical, about a mathematical formula. So uh, they dueled, obviously, as you do when um, a discrepancy I, comes up. Yes, as a mathematician, I can tell you when I've ever I've had a, def a discrepancy with anyone, the first thing I think is swords at dawn. Yeah, let's, let's duel. Yeah, yeah totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they duel and he lost part of his nose in that duel. <laughs> and I guess Parsberg must have been okay. I mean, because I read one source where they were like, oh, they became good friends after that. Of course like, they did. I dude. don't know. Mandarup's like, dude, sorry about your nose. And Tika's like, dude, no worries. I don't know. Um, so he's missing a chunk of his nose. Um, and so I actually have read different things in different sources. So he, he wore a fake nose. Like he had a, I don't even know what to call it, but he had a way to make it look that his nose was not missing a chunk. Um, and so I've read that it was gold. I've read that it was silver. Um, honestly, I think it was brass because I actually looked up some of the um, journal articles. Guys, I'm such a nerd. The journal articles for when they dug up his body and like tested it. I got, oh my gosh, I got so much to talk about just like them digging up his body, which is crazy. Oh, I'm, I am so excited for the exhumation portion of your oh my gosh. I'm so excited. Okay. But spoiler alert, they did it twice. So yep. we'll get to that. Um, but when, <laughs> but when they looked at and tested the bone around where his nose would have been, um, they did see like a green discoloration, um, and I think they found some copper too when they analyzed the bone. So um, brass is a, an alloy of copper and zinc. 
So probably it was brass, um, but I mean, it would have looked kind of like gold, I guess. I mean, I brass makes more sense to me. Such a, I'm such a chemist. Gold and silver are fairly soft metals. So I wouldn't think you would want something that could be easily uh, malformed, disformed, um, you know, in case he gets into another duel or something. Um, so I feel like a brass nose would be like more sturdy. I mean, it's, it is still soft. I mean, I don't know. Copper's kind of soft, but I think like that brass, we always think of as kind of being a little bit like sturdier of a metal, you know? Well, I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to have a prosthetic, like you might, and you might have, and I might've, I might've read this somewhere or heard a rumor, like maybe he wore a gold one on Sundays. Cause it was yeah, like he, he had a fancy one. Yeah. And he had his day-to-day -day prosthetic, which was boring old brass. I don't know. But like, that yeah. seems like. It would have been a yeah. thing. Yeah. So possibly he did have like gold and silver as well. But I think I think his day to day one would have been, uh, you know, his everyday wear would have been a brass one. Um, so, yeah. So now he's walking around with, um, you know, part of his nose being a piece of metal. All right. So now we are, that was 1566. I got to skip ahead a little bit more. It's 1570, sorry, 1571. And by this point, and I don't remember because I just, this was a little bit ago when I looked this up. Um, but by this point in 1571, his dad and Uncle Jay are both dead. Um, I think his dad died second, but I'm not positive. Basically though, by 1571, he inherits all the stuff because he's oldest son still, I guess, even though he's kidnapped. So daddy leaves him everything that he has. And then uncle Jay made him his heir. So like, you know, gets all that stuff. So he gets all, all the stuff um, makes again, makes out pretty good for being kidnapped. I don't know. Um, so he settles back down in Scania and he makes himself a little observatory and does some science stuff. And I'm not going to get into that um, because again, that'll be kind of um, once we get through his just crazy life. Um, so meanwhile, while he's doing science in his observatory, uh, I, I don't know, 1572 or 1573, he, I'm going to put this in air quotes again, marries, um, a Lutheran pastor's daughter, uh, AKA she was a peasant, like she was peasant AF. So that's a problem because, um, you know, at that point in the 1500s, you didn't just like go marrying a peasant. You couldn't just do that. Um, because if he were to marry her, which I read it was illegal for them to get married, but I don't know if it just would have been, if they had gotten married, Tico would have had to, um, basically give up all his noble privileges, status, name, crest, etc. Like he would have basically lost his noble status. So his wife, Kirsten, Barbara, Jürgen's daughter, um, Hansen. I mean, I read it both ways because she's Jurgen's daughter. Um, but I think his last name was Hansen. Um, so Kirsten, um, they didn't actually get married. Um, they lived together for three years and Danish law, basically it was like a common law marriage, right? Like, mm -hmm. so they lived together for three years. And so they were basically just considered married. So they never officially got married. It's they started living together as a married couple. And then after three years, they're like, oh, okay, I guess you're married. Um, and so they actually ended up having eight kids, six of which survived Tico. But I really didn't find out a lot about them. Um, I'm not really sure why. Um, I, again, six of them survived him. So that means they, you know, made it to adulthood because 
or at least fairly close to adulthood. So, um, but I, I didn't find a lot about them. Um, but because their marriage was a morganatic marriage, um, the kids couldn't inherit his title, his crest, anything like that. Morganatic just means it's a marriage between like two very different status um, ranks, basically, of people. And so his wife didn't become a noble woman because she married him. She was still peasant AF. Her, his kids were still peasant, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's just what it was. Mm-hmm. There's not a whole lot of men. And that could be actually why we don't find out a lot about his kids because they were just basically peasants. So no one cared. Um, oh, your dad's a nobleman. Well, you're a peasant and you don't have any way to prove your status or crest or title or anything. So that could probably be why they just, went into obscurity. Um, I was curious though about his wife and what kind of relationship they had. And um, one thing I read is that there's not really a lot of mention of um, his wife and his correspondences. So I read somebody hypothesizing, well, maybe he's just like looking for someone to help run his house, but not really be all up in the court's business, um, which I guess is your advantage of marrying a peasant. So anyway, all right. So it's 1576 now, and the current king of Denmark and Norway, King Frederick II, um, gives Tycho an estate on the island of Vien, 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 I don't know, H-V-E-N. I probably butchered that for any of you out there. I 100% wrote my, you know, notes about this without mentioning the name. Thanks, because it's, yeah pronounce it right and it just stressed me out to have to like even think like I'm even like when we get to some of the people from Russia we're going to be dealing with I tried that before I would try these so it's fine yeah I'm I'm making things out we need to know is he got his own island from the king that's cool yeah got his own island he had like 40 peasant families under him like they lived on the island and there were like 40 peasant families uh he was uh not very nice to them uh his house had its own jail so he could throw the peasants in there when he was mad at them for not like giving him stuff or doing stuff for him. Yeah, I really, guys, I was really bad about like keeping track of which source said what. But yes, I did read that it had its own jail so he could throw the peasants in there. Uh, yeah, I don't think the peasants and Tico had a really good relationship. No. Doesn't sound like it was a great situation for them. No. Which you'd think with his peasant wife and his peasant kids, he'd be a little nicer, but I don't think that's how it goes. Apparently not. not. But, you know, King Freddie loves him and is all about him and his astronomy stuff, which is what he's doing out there. So, you know, King Freddie just like funneling him that money. Like, yeah, sure. Spend money. Like, cool, cool. No worries. Uh, But then King Freddie dies, which is a problem because King Christian the fourth. Yeah. King Christian the fourth becomes king in 1588. So that 1576 is when he got his island. So he's like living life for a while. But 1588, King Christian IV becomes king. King C and Tico are not friends. Um, there's some debate about um, like different theories about this. And some of them, I'm not sure like some of these, but I just, I'm gonna talk about because some of them are kind of just juicy and fun. Um, so first, I do think that King C was like, dude, what are you spending all my money on? Um, cause he didn't, you know, King Freddie again was just kind of funding him on this Island to do whatever he wanted. So I think King C was probably like, got to stop spending all this money. Um, I don't think, or it's, it's kind of projected that probably a lot of other noblemen didn't like the influence he had. Like 
The king's just giving you all this money. He's giving you in an island. It's not like he was, I mean, he was a nobleman, but you know, like, why do you get an island? I want an island, right? So probably mm-hmm. there was some conflict within the, the noble class about it. Maybe they were talking some mad, you know, crap about him. Um, he was also really 100%, not. A hundred percent they were. Yeah. He was also not a good nobleman. Like, noblemen did have actual jobs to do, and he did not do them. So I read somewhere he was supposed to maintain a cathedral in Roskilde, um, and it had a leaky roof, and King C's dad and grandpa are buried there. So, like, he's neglecting the cathedral where King C's family is. So that's not going to make him too happy. So just, you know, I think he was out on his island partying it up. Uh, having important people come out there, hanging out. Um, yeah, just not doing the things he's supposed to. Also, I do not know how true or reliable this is at all, but I did read somewhere there's speculation that Tico and Queen Sophie, who is King C's mom, were knocking boots. What? And that this, along with later conspiracy theories about... Um, Spoiler alert, there's theories that Tika was poisoned, um, was what influenced the play Hamlet, which was written in 1609. Not sure if that's true or if after Hamlet was written, it was projected back to this. I really don't know. I Guys, I, I really wanted to look more into this and I just didn't have a lot of time to search that thoroughly. But I have, I've read that in more than one source or it's been hinted at in more than one source that like, Maybe he was knocking boots at the mom. Because, okay, if you don't know Hamlet, Hamlet's the prince and daddy. Time out. He's the yeah. Danish prince. I mean, Let's start yeah. there. Oh. I, yeah. I mean, it's it's possible, right? Mm-hmm. So then Hamlet's all mad because he thinks his mom is knocking boots with this guy who's not his father. And, you know, there's some death and whatever. So I don't know. I mean, I'm not putting it outside the realm of possible. I love it. I love it. I want it to be true. I don't know that it is, but I just love it because I'm a Shakespeare person too. So I just love that. I would just yes. love if that's actually what inspired Hamlet. That would be amazing. Yeah. Um, but if he was knocking boots with his mom, oh, for sure they were not going to get along. Because cause no. Because like, just, wait a minute, are you my stepdad now? Because no. Because like, no. no. <laughs> yeah. All right. So 1597, um, this is where Tico's like, I'm taking my ball and getting out of here. Basically, it was just too much conflict where he was living. So he just uproots his family and he ends up in Prague as the imperial mathematician um, yeah. to, to Rudolph II, who was king of Bohemia and Holy Roman Emperor. So he was the mm-hmm. Holy Roman Emperor's mathematician. Um, mm-hmm. He builds an observatory there. He does some science stuff, meets some guy named Johannes Kepler. I don't know. You know, maybe you've heard of him. <laughs> and I'll let Maggie kind of take over from there. But <laughs> I got to talk real quickly. I know I feel like I've talked for forever, but I got to talk about his death and his, uh, you know, his body being exhumed twice. So I started going down a lot of, this is, I don't, if, if any of my biochemistry students who, yes, I did tell some of them about this podcast, if any of you are out there listening, you're going to be laughing because I have this like sick, dark humor that I'm like, ooh, let's talk about death. This is so interesting. I don't know. It always comes out really wrong, but I think this is super fascinating. So I went down a lot of rabbit holes and I'll try to keep it straightforward. But um, so how he died. 
So the story goes, he's at this big banquet and he has such good manners that he just waited a really long time to go potty. I have little children, so we say potty. Okay, Mm -hmm. so he waited a really long time to go potty. And then contemporary accounts, like contemporary to him, to Tico, um, say that after the banquet, he just like couldn't pee anymore. Uh, and then he comes down. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't know. I'm going to tell you right now, when I've been for a long time, the last thing I have trouble doing is going. Well, so. you know, I mean, some of this is like lore, right? I don't know. So then he comes down with a sudden illness um, that lasts about 11 days, um, like right after this. And there are really only three people that were around him during his final days, one being Kepler, um, another doctor, and I think the, other, the third one is also a doctor. Um, but anyway, so some of the symptoms that were reported by contemporaries are things like urine retention, so not being able to pee, pain, bladder inflammation, fever, delirium. Um, actually, two different contemporary accounts mentioned delirium. I, I remember reading that. Kepler and the doctor both mentioned delirium. So... At some point, a theory, and I don't have dates on like when some of these theories got developed, but at some point, a theory develops that his bladder ruptured. Honestly, it probably wasn't that. Then those conspiracy theories are swirling around that he was poisoned. Um, Kepler actually gets trash talked as a poisoner at some point in history, which I think is 100% unfair. Um, Yeah, it was not Kepler. I mean, he wasn't poisoned. Like, bottom line, I'll I'll get to some some science um, here in a minute, but he was not poisoned. some scholars at some point had agreed that mercury poisoning could have caused a bladder rupture, which could have like set off all these effects and symptoms and stuff like that. But anyway, there's a lot of theories swirling around, but he dies um, after those 11 days of very um, uh, intense illness. And supposedly he says to Kepler on his deathbed, let me not seem to have lived in vain. I don't think anyone's going to, you know, think he lived in vain, living his life. Um, so Tico's body has been exhumed twice for examination so the first time they did it in 1901 and I really didn't find too much information on it because well I think it was 1901 and they didn't really do the same kinds I mean the technology that we have now is like stupid crazy compared to you know what they had um in 1901 um but basically what I got from it was he wasn't poisoned um or they they really didn't find evidence that he was poisoned is basically what that first exhumation kind of shows so then they literally boxed him back up literally boxed him back up until 2010 and then a group of czech and danish researchers because remember he moved to prague but he was also danish so it was a group of czech and danish researchers that dug him back up and again i think they were looking for evidence of you know mercury poisoning and stuff like that but Long, long story short, because I went down a lot of rabbit holes. Um, so they did a lot of analysis on his bone fragments and hair, which time out, hair can survive that long. That's gross. Yes, hair can. And they were looking, and I'll tell you what they were looking for. They were looking for arsenic or cyanide. I know. I got. I'll tell you about that. I got. Ooh, I got that. Yeah. I got okay. excited. So, um, <laughs> so they took the bone and the hair fragments they got from the body, and I'm not going to go into a ton of details, but. They did study some changes in his bones and they say he had something called DISH, which is diffuse idiopathic skeletal hyperostosis. I, I couldn't what even really, I, I did like, not get, yeah, I did not go into this. Um, no, but TPWKY has never covered this. So no. yeah, I don't even know, but basically <laughs> one cause can be um, diabetes mellitus. So uh, let me just boil it down. 
they probably or they hypothesized like look Tika was probably obese because he lived in that fancy life he eats he drinks whatever um and he probably just developed some kind of metabolic disease um possibly diabetes but a metabolic disease metabolic diseases are going to affect like your liver your kidney like those um, functioning parts of your body right your liver has a lot of enzymes and your kidneys do a lot of things to deal with what's coming into your body your liver especially okay so um probably that's what led to his early death. Um, I don't know that they know like what it was specifically about like, you know, that party that he was at or what kind of caused it. I mean, if he had diabetes and went into diabetic shock, I mean, you can be delirious when you're in diabetic shock. And if they didn't know that that's what was happening at the time, you know, so it could be something like that. Um, but yeah, they did find, so they looked at, they can do all kinds of analysis on bones and hair. And so they found higher levels of gold in his bones and his hair. They found mm. abnormal levels of iron, arsenic, silver, gold, and mercury in his hair. Okay, so how the heck did this happen? Well, one, the gold in his bones, like they just used to drink gold flakes. Like that was a thing. Like you fancy, so you like drink gold. And mm -hmm. you use gold utensils and stuff like that. So you could have ingested it. Um, but the stuff in his hair, um, uh, Tika was into alchemy. Um, and so I don't want to talk too much about it because I don't know how much Maggie you're going to cover, but I did see a paper reference, um, elixir Ticonus. Mm -hmm. Um, and so Tico used to make up this thing and give to his friends for like mm -hmm. diseases like scabies and syphilis and mm -hmm. gross stuff like that. Um, but that elixir has mercury in it. So if he was basically doing alchemy as well, those, um, those metals that they found in his hair, would be from that kind of exposure, like vapor exposure. If they had found it in his bones, that would have been indicative of like he ingested it. Like if you ingest mercury, it's not gonna show up just in your hair. So the things that they found in his hair probably have more to do with him working in his alchemy, alchemy lab versus, you know, he was poisoned by mercury or something like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, people used to work with mercury like all the time, mm -hmm. right? Like mercury, people just like, yeah, mercury's fine. It'll cure syphilis, it's fine. I think they use that like up through Victorian ages or something, honestly, the treatment. Yeah. So like mercury is like, yeah, it's fine. Um, but anyway, so that's probably where he got exposed to those things. Yeah, well, and ter turns out it is not fine. Um, <laughs> it's not, but, not at all. Um, but yeah, no, that was part of the, when I, I'm gonna talk a little bit about what alchemy meant to Tico because we okay. hear alchemy and we think certain things. So it, yeah. there's, it's actually really hard to find information on alchemists because of the nature of their work. So I'll get into mm -hmm. that a little bit, but it's, it's a thing for sure. Yeah. Awesome. That'll be exciting. Cause I didn't go too much into his alchemy because um, I, you know, I was already doing kind of a lot of other stuff here with him, but, um, but yeah. So had to dig him up twice to really get more information. And I was, I was actually reading some of the reports uh, that were published about like the analysis of his blood and hair, his um, bone and hair and stuff. Cause I was just like fascinated by it. So, all right. I only have two quick things that just cap off his, I'm going to say the word just as a warning, his badassery. Uh, Cause we got to talk about the dwarf and the moose. Yeah. So I read, and I think I've read this in two sources and there is a young adult novel that is uh, based on this. So supposedly Tico had a dwarf in his em in, in his employee, geez, I can't talk, named Jep. And so there is a book out there that someone has written from like Jep's point of view, I guess. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. 
maybe look it up. Um, but he was like his court jester and stuff, I guess. But Tico also thought he was clairvoyant. So he has a clairvoyant dwarf uh, who he makes sit under his table at all his meals. I I don't, I don't really know why. (laughs) I I don't know if it's because, I mean, if he was clairvoyant, he wouldn't really need to be there to listen to conversation. I I don't really know. That's, I really could only find like a very, very, very teeny tiny, you know, snippet of that. But I do think that that's like, I think that's true. I mean, it's got Mm -hmm. an, he's got a name there. I feel like it could be true. Um, Mm -hmm. The moose thing, okay, he had, like, a pen moose, basically, uh, essentially. I read an elk in one source, but I, I don't know. I don't know if elk and moose can both live in Europe. I don't really know. I, I don't know. Anyway, I, I don't know much about moose and elk. But anyway, um, so supposedly I did read a source um, that it would, like, follow the carriage when he was riding it, like a dog, like a dog would do, like, ride up along the carriage, like, here's my pet moose. Um, and the reason, the reason that there is like, there is some evidence for this. There's a correspondence in 1591 with a guy named Landgrave Wilhelm. And he was like Mm -hmm. asking Tico about some new, have you heard about this new animal called a Rix? Um, and then Brahe in Brahe's response and Tico's response, he asked him basically like, have you, have you seen a moose before? Cause I have one. Um, so yeah. So, I mean, I think that it's like, that is factual from what I could tell. Mm -hmm. Cause I think there is actual, like firsthand account of that um, written account. Um, but apparently this poor moose really liked beer. I don't know really how you get a moose to like beer or if you just put something in front of it and drinks it because it's a moose and it doesn't know better. I don't know that you could say it liked beer. I don't know. Um, but at some point someone asked if Tico's moose can come to their party. It's like the entertainment. And Tico's like, sure, yeah, why not? So they the moose goes to this party and... Um, I, I didn't mention apparently it was like it lived in the house like it just like live in the house with Tico and fam like their castle wherever the heck they lived so anyway this moose so many questions about the logistics of a moose living in your house I know but, right I I but, don't understand so supposedly the moose goes to this party <laughs> sounds like it like wanted to go they sent the moose I guess to this party and it got really drunk like really really drunk and Brahe's biographer said that the moose went up the stairs and fell down them um, to its, and I quote, eventual demise. Oh, no. So was it like with a horse that broke all its legs and they had to shoot it? Like, that's horrible. I, I don't know. All I know is there was an eventual demise. Oh, well, I mean, well, we're, we're all headed for an eventual demise, but I hope it's not I mean, because I fell down the stairs when I'm drunk. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. So that poor moose, that poor moose had a rough life. I guess. Well, maybe he had a good life. I don't know. Maybe he liked drinking beer and living inside. Maybe he had a great life and went out with a bang and was cool with it. Maybe, maybe the way, maybe that's the way you want to go out, drunk and falling maybe. down the stairs at a party. <laughs> I, I don't know. There are probably people out there that would be like, yeah, man, sure. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I don't know how much more of a BA you have to be when you have a fake nose, a clairvoyant dwarf, and a pet moose. So, there you I, have it. I love everything about that story. I absolutely love it. And I'm really excited to talk about the science too, because it it's going to dovetail nicely with some of the things you left out and with some of the things you put in. Um, so do you want to take a quick break and then we'll talk, let's talk Tico. That sounds perfect. All right. Okay, y'all, let's uh, do some science. Um, now I want to be clear. I only knew so much about 
his life um, before I researched him. Did you look at any of his science, Brenna? No, like I really couldn't tell you anything. I mean, the fact that he's associated with Kepler tells me kind of what we're getting into. And the fact mm-hmm. that he had an observatory, I'm like, all right, astronomy stuff. But that's literally the extent of my knowledge about anything that he did that was actually relevant. Yeah, I just looked up, you know, his drunk moose. So that perfect. Was. That's yeah. excellent. Which, which was worthy because that's the thing you need to know about him. Obviously. Um, uh, obviously. Um, something else you need to know about Tico is that he was arrogant AF. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let me just start there. Um, and that, that particular personality trait is what allowed him to be the kind of guy that said, no, I don't think any of that's right. I'm going to make my own version of how the universe works. and it will be fine. Um, which is essentially what he did. Okay. So like Brenna mentioned, Tico went to the university of Copenhagen and he studied law and I think that that really primarily was because he felt like he owed it to his uncle who abducted, adopted, <laughs> it's monkey, abducted, adopted him. Um, he was paying for it. And so when his uncle was like, I'm paying the bill for this, so you don't learn about law, Tico was probably like, guys, you know, better give it a shot, whatever. Um, he did not stay in the area of law, though. Yeah, and he was a nobleman, so he would have had responsibilities in that direction, like we discussed. But um it wasn't really what made him, it wasn't what made him wonder. It wasn't what he was fascinated by. Um, at the time, scientists weren't called scientists really yet. They were called natural philosophers. Um, and they were kind of the rock stars of the day. Um, they definitely got all the girls. Uh, I'm just kidding. I have no idea. Some of them did, some of them didn't probably. But um, they were I mean, Tico ended up with a peasant, so I don't know. So I don't know, but like, maybe she was a groupie, maybe not. It's difficult to say. But um, what I do know um, is that, like, astronomy was kind of the height of coolness. Like, if you were an astronomer, you could take a girl out and be like, listen, let me show you my constellations. And it was like a thing. Okay. So um, he started being interested in, in, in astronomy a little bit just because it was popular. People were starting to wonder um, about what was outside of the, uh, like, how is the earth made? Yeah, there have been theories for hundreds of years, but let's start, let's start proving some of these things. Let's start figuring this out. Um, Cause they had time to, like you said, Brenna. So um, there were three events that really cemented his path um, down the astronomy road. Um, so first, a solar eclipse was predicted for August of 1560. They had predicted that it was going to happen. And then it did happen. And he saw it and he, he was amazed. He was like, you're telling me that there's a way to figure out what's going to happen outside of the earth. And he, he loved how accurately people could predict all kinds of things that were happening with the heavenly bodies. Um, Unfortunately, the people who were predicting were often grossly inaccurate. So they were so inaccurate, in fact, that Tico just is like, no, this is absolutely not. Um, He started making his own observations and he recorded an overlapping of Jupiter and Saturn, kind of like we had in 2020 late 2020 where jupiter and saturn made the star of bethlehem thing i think that was last christmas oh, was it 
Was it two like, years ago? I don't remember. Listen, 2020, 2020 didn't happen. Year. Yeah. Uh, 2020 was a gap year within the past two years. Fair enough. Around Christmas, there was that mm-hmm. big. Yeah. It was a Christmas star. So he um, recorded one of those um, and discovered that existing almanacs and planetary tables were not even close to predicting it right. He was like, well, I'm looking at it and it says one thing, but it is clearly not what it says in here. Um, So because he was arrogant, um, he was like, you know what? I'm just going to fix all these. Um, I'm obviously smarter than everyone. Um, Such a burden, but I just have to correct every single planetary table and almanac forever. Um, It's very arrogant. Um, so, so that happened and it was, it was quite a big deal. Um, so the next thing that happened, um, okay, we need to take a quick trip back in time to the late 1500s. Again, like Brenna took us there. So at this time there were no telescopes. Okay. Tycho is the last astronomer to do his work without the aid of the telescope. Oh my gosh, I didn't even think about telescopes. Well, because you you said observatory. And he and, and when I think observatory, I think yeah, the, telescope. the telescope comes out, you look at space. Right. That is not what an observatory was at the time. You did oh. look at space there. There were no telescopes yet. Oh. Um, yeah. So any and all observations regarding the heavens were done without the aid of good optics. Hmm. So that, because uh, I didn't realize... I didn't realize that either. And I was like, wait a minute, he was doing all of this without what now? Um, <laughs> but he, but he did. Um, so at the time, remember, so no telescopes at the time, the commonly held belief about how the universe worked was made popular by our good buddy, Aristotle, all the way back in the 300s BC. <laughs> um, Ptolemy, Ptolemy talked about this at length. Aristotle is the one who made it super popular. Um, Aristotle said the earth is surrounded by layers of hollow spheres. Okay. The sun has a sphere. The moon has a sphere, each planet. um, They're all fastened to spheres and those spheres spin at different speeds. Some fast, some slow, none of them the same. So that's why all they move around the earth at varying times. Okay. Okay. He thought the stars, it could, it could be. Uh, you have a telescope. That's a g- great place to start. Um, th- the stars, he said, were attached to the largest sphere that's at the very outside of all the spheres. So the very biggest outside sphere only has stars in it. Then you move a, a sphere in, there's a planet. Sphere in, you know, that's how he said it was going to work. It's important to note that he said that these spheres were immutable. They were unchanging. Nothing happened. And if anything was changing, it was happening between the Earth and the moon in the Earth's sphere. It couldn't happen out there. So that is the basis for the geocentric model of the universe. The earth is at the center. The earth and its sphere is at the center. Everything else in its own sphere revolves around it. All right. Um, So now, despite the fact that this idea doesn't remotely or in any way explain the vast majority of things we can observe in the sky, and despite the fact that people really tried to point out that this wasn't a good theory, it survived forever because Aristotle was so deeply respected. Interesting. It was not okay for people that Aristotle could have been wrong. So 
in fact, the, 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 the topic persisted, the, the theory persisted until 1543 when Copernicus, who you may have heard of, made a lot of people very unhappy with his theory of how the universe worked. And, but that, that really is a topic we will cover another day. Um, but what I will say about Copernicus ideas, um, they did not settle the question of how the heavens worked, despite the fact that he was way more right than anybody to this point. Um, but that's why Tycho was kind of in the position that he was in. So back to Tycho. He had predicted this, uh, or he had seen this Jupiter and Saturn thing. He had seen the, um, the solar eclipse. So now this third thing is going to happen. It's 1572. He's out one night and he's studying the sky like he does as an astronomer rock star. And he noticed something in Cassiopeia, which is a constellation, a group of stars. Um, and it was something he'd never seen before. He was like, guys, oh my gosh, this is to be a new star. I'm going to call the supernova, which is lit literally Latin is supernova. It's new star. Um, and I found it all by myself. Um, <laughs> you know what we should do? We should reevaluate some of our thoughts on the heavens. But if it was a star, then the sphere holding the stars, which, as I told you, was all the way at the edge of the universe, had changed. That's a big no-no. So people were like, no way. That's a light that's between the Earth and the moon, and it's not a star, and the heavens are immutable, and we do not have to panic about Aristotle being wrong the end. <laughs> uh, and Tico was like, fine, I will prove it. So over the next few months, he did prove that this was, in fact, a supernova, which we now know to be an exploding star. We still call them supernova. He's the one who called them supernovas. The reason we call them that is because mm. of Tico. Okay. Um, and it was way beyond the moon. So the heavens were not immutable. Um, it blew everybody's mind, made a lot of people very angry. Um, the natural philosophers of the time kind of protected themselves from anxiety about the future by adhering to Aristotle's idea that the inner continuous harmony of the world was ruled by the unchanging stars. If the stars could change, then the chaos of Earth was reflected in the heavens, and that scared everybody to death. Things were then uncertain. There wasn't this calmness that existed outside the earthly chaos. Uh, it's big. It was, it was an unpopular opinion, to say the least. However, King of Denmark, King uh, Fred at this point, uh, was so impressed that he did give Tycho an island to do all of his science things on. So he built his, he built his own printing press on it. I did, I did yeah. actually see that. Yes. He, yeah. built, he, he built his own observatory there. He built his own printing press. I have a quick question. Yes. That's just popped in my head here. Mm -hmm. So you said he found the supernova in the constellation Cassiopeia? Yes. How did they, like, this is a dumb question. So for how long had those constellations been, like, followed, tracked, whatever? Like the um, study of those constellations. I don't know for sure how long they, I don't know when Cassiopeia got its name. I didn't look that up. Um, but I do know that people had been looking at the stars for quite some time. And I'm, I'm going to get to this because as you said, it was the age of exploration. And what's the oh, thing that we yeah. use to explore? 
the stars, stars the yeah. unchanging stars guides because if there's new stars what how are we how are we supposed to find our way to the new world it, it, you could see why this became a huge deal could, could be why a lot of people got lost because star, stars if you don't know stars change depending <laughs> on like you know where you are in the world yeah like which hemisphere you're in yeah kind yeah. of a huge deal okay kind so that was, okay. That, was, right. that was why i'm guessing that okay part of, yeah it, it all kind of played into Makes like, sense. yeah right okay so um and like brenna said Tico loved to spend money. He would spend, like, everyone's. He spent his, he spent the king's, he spent his peasants' money. He spent everybody's money um, living the life out on his island, doing science. Now, as I mentioned before, Copernicus had come along and ruined everyone's life, including his own, quite frankly, by telling everyone that the sun and not the earth was the center of the universe. And that's, that's the heliocentric. So you have the geo, geo being the earth, and helio, the sun, center okay heliocentric version of things and so keep that in mind we've got geocentric and we've got heliocentric now tico was a measurement guy i told you that he was able to prove to people that the supernova was not in fact a light in the earth's what became he didn't know it was the atmosphere it was the earth's atmosphere is what they were talking about he was able to prove that he was a measurement guy um, Edwin Arthur Burt, um, who wrote a book called The Metaphysical Foundations of Modern Physical Science, uh, which is a very stuffy title, I think. Um, <laughs> described a terrible Tico title. As, it's awful. Um, it described Tycho as the first competent mind in modern astronomy to feel ardently the passion for exact empirical facts. Uh, it turns out that he was like, guys, we can't just do this willy. You just, one does not do science willy nilly. We must measure things. Um, he wanted perfect instrumentation that made perfect measurements because that's going to be vital to accurate information. Maybe if the guys who had written the almanac had good instruments like Pico's, they would have known when Jupiter and Saturn were going to cross. That's, I'm just saying. Um, so he was the last major astronomer who did his work without a telescope, but his other instruments were absolutely incredible. Um, his observations of planetary motion, because they were so precise, provided crucial data for his, um, I guess we'll call him, I don't want to call him a colleague or a protege, but it, or a, a mentee. It was like an amalgamation of those things. Um, Kepler. Um, and that's how Kepler constructed our present model of the solar system. It was from Tycho's measurements and his main observations. Kepler needed Tycho's information to do what he did. Oh, wow. Um, that's so cool. I really I know, don't know that I've ever heard of this guy until, you know, we started doing this podcast. So I feel like maybe we should have, like, heard about him. I, I don't was, know. He was instrumental to the whole thing about, okay, so... Because Tycho also insisted on observing heavenly bodies through their entire orbits. People were just like, let's look at it for a couple months and see what it does. Can't do that because Mercury has this retrograde thing where it goes forward, then backward, then forward again. And that's because it's going faster than us. And you have to observe the whole thing to see how that works. So he and they would so so Tycho was like, no, nah, we need to look at it all the time, no matter what it's doing. 
And he was able to um, observe some of these abnormalities like retrograde and all that kind of thing. Um, and uh, those observations directly led to Kepler figuring out that the planetary or orbits are elliptical. Uh, huh. Like, it it's such a big deal. Um, and you never, I never knew about this guy until I did, um, was in our homeschool book this year. Um, cause I teach, I teach, the kids, I teach the kids science from a historical perspective and he was in there and I was just like, what, why did I know about this guy? Um, so as I said, he proved that the supernova was beyond the moon because his measurements were so freaking accurate. His absolutely meticulous observations showed that the supernova did not change positions with respect to other stars. So there was no parallax. Therefore, it was a real star, not a local object. Time out. I said the word parallax. What is parallax? Um, I'll tell you, and then I'll explain it to you because the definition is kind of twisty. So parallax is the difference in apparent position of an object viewed along two different angles or lines of sight. And it's, and it's the best way to measure distance in astronomy at this point in history. So it doesn't use physics. It uses geometry, specifically trigonometry. Um, and here's how it works, okay? So hold out your hand. Just hold out your hand in front of you and close your right eye, okay? Then put your thumb over some object in the distance. It doesn't have to cover it. Just put your thumb somewhere over an object, okay? Now, don't move your arm. Open your right eye, close your left eye, okay? It looks like your thumb moved, right? Or yeah. close your right eye, open your left eye. Change eyes, whichever you did first. It looked like your thumb moved. Yes. Right? Okay. Agree. But, but you didn't. Correct. You didn't move. Okay. If you measure the change um, in the distance where your thumb is, like the distance between your thumbs, and then the distance between your eyes, there's some really cool trigonometry and math that you can do to calculate the distance to your thumb, to the thick, like it's how, that's how you do it. So in who real- Who discovered way, that? Okay, that's probably a different kind of story, but geez, okay. Who, how did he figure out parallax? Yeah. It's complicated, but I can tell you that there are daily examples of this, for instance, um, so did he, wait, did he discover parallax or he just like, he took made, that? he, he made use of it. Okay. He popularized it. Okay. okay. We'll say that. Um, cause they knew about parallax just because like we know about parallax. We just don't know what to call it. Think of it this way. This is my like real life example. Um, you are in the car driving and someone is in the passenger seat. You're looking at your speedometer, and the speedometer has to be one of those with a needle on it, right? That like the needle goes up faster you get. So you're looking at the needle and it says 65 miles an hour. Great. But then your passenger is like, oh my gosh, why are you going 73 miles an hour? You're, you're speeding. That is disgusting. Um, no, I'm not. But, but their point of view moved over just that many seats gives them a different angle. And so they see it at a different place, even though the, the speedometer didn't move. It stayed at 65. You're seeing it as one thing, they're seeing another thing. That's parallax, okay? So if you get pulled over, can you tell the officer, I'm sorry, officer, you must be experiencing parallax because where I'm sitting, it says 65. Mm -hmm. 
you could try that, but if they have a radar gun, they'll call you a liar and they'll be right. <laughs> but you have a really good chance of not paying that ticket because you need to go to court and take a physicist with you and ask them when the last time they calibrated that um, instrument was. I had a college professor who... Was it college? It, was, it wasn't our high school physics, physics professor or teacher? No, no, he didn't. Mr. Lipinski didn't do that. Um, oh, okay. But Well, maybe he did. He never told me about it. But I know oh. that my physics professor, uh, when I was in school, he made quite, quite a, quite a, had a, a steady side hustle, we'll say, um, going to court for people who got tickets and asking them to prove that their instruments were calibrated. They were not. And you didn't, they didn't pay those tickets. So anyway, don't speed. But if you do. Oh, I thought the moral of the story was just get a physicist. If you do get a physicist, that's exactly where okay. I was going with that. Don't speed. Right. But if you do, make sure that you are or have access to a physicist. All right. Good. Life <laughs> lessons. It's, you know, it's, it's how we get through, through life, quite frankly. Um, okay. So, um, yeah, so I, I told you that Tycho did not invent parallax, which is true because in ancient times, um, Hipparchus used par, um, Hipparchus, Hipparchus, I'm not sure. Um, he used parallax during a solar eclipse, um, uh, to measure, like, he was doing measurements with the moon during a solar eclipse, but he assumed that the moon was directly overhead, uh, which was totally not correct because the angle that you use matters. It's trigonometry. So the angle of the sign and blah, blah, all that matters. But he had the right idea. Hipparchus was doing this in ancient times. So parallax was not new. Tycho made extremely significant use of it. Okay. So here's what you need to know about space. Because this is what Tycho did to deal with this supernova thing and which led to one of his main contributions to science. To measure the distance to a star, astronomers use a baseline of one astronomical unit. So what you do is you average, you use the average distance um, between the earth and the sun, which is 93 million miles. Then what you do is you measure small angles in arc seconds, and that's tiny fractions of a degree on the night sky. Okay. If you divide the baseline of one astronomical unit by the tangent, there's the trig, of one arc second, it comes out to about 19.2 trillion miles or 3.26 light years. This unit of distance is called a parallax second or parsec. It's not a unit of time per se, but for all of you Star Wars fans out there, don't get on me about what Han Solo said about the Millennium Falcon. We respect Star Wars here. Let me just start with that. Han Solo famously says um, about the Millennium Falcon that it made the Kessel Run in a certain number of parsecs. In 12. It was 12. But <laughs> I don't want to be too much of a nerd today. That's coming. Listen, it was 12 parsecs and it was very quick. But he wasn't saying it like it was 12 seconds or 12 light years. He wasn't using parsec in that way. Okay. Think of, you can think of a cannonball, the cannonball run, which is the distance from one end of the country to another. You can think of how many different ways are there to get to your office. Okay. 
there are lots of routes that can take you from your home to a certain place. Not every vehicle can run every route efficiently. For instance, a Prius is not going to be able to off-road in the Rocky Mountains. It cannot take that route. So a parsec is a unit of distance and the Millennium Falcon was awesome enough to make the Kessel Run to use a route other ships could not take in only 12 parallax seconds. So everyone calm down. Han Solo was not stupid. You just didn't understand his context. <laughs> That's how I feel about it. So anyway, and, and basically he was saying that not only is his ship the fastest hunk of junk in the galaxy, which Lando said actually, um, but it can take shorter routes that other ships can because it's awesome. So that's what I have to say about parsecs and about Star Wars. In any case, the closest star to us is more than one parsec from our sun, okay? So astronomers have to measure stellar shifts, shifts in the stars by less, less than one arc second, which was not possible before modern technology. The man did not have a telescope. He could not measure things that small. So he couldn't really measure the distance to a star. He just knew that they were far away. Okay, this is very important. Here's why. Tycho measured the parallax of a comet in 1577 and showed, thanks to his completely meticulous observations and very good instruments, that it was farther away than the moon. Aristotle had said that comets were happening in the Earth's atmosphere. Tycho said, nope. He, he used parallax to disprove that. So if that was incorrect, Aristotle's ideas of celestial spheres was wrong, because it was, and circular orbits cannot explain a comet's movements. So Kepler's like, I'm listening, right? So Tycho was like, you know what? I need to know if there's a stellar parallax. Is there a parallax for the stars? Because then I can measure the distance to stars. Remember, I told you he could not do this because he did not have the technology that he needed to do it, okay? He, he tried to find one and could not. So he came to an either or moment. So he was like, okay, either the earth is motionless and the center of the universe or the stars are so far away that parallax can't be measured. So we would say, well, of course, they're very, the stars are extremely far away. But he was like, absolutely not. There is no way the, gal the universe is that big. Please. So you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say the Earth is the center of everything, because that's clearly the right answer. Swing and a miss. That is not big, the case. Bigness. That's, that's big, not it. Bigness there. And that happened to lots of scientists through history, as we will discover. He was down to two options and picked the wrong conclusion. It's just the nature of science. So now you would think that with the work that Tycho did with orbits and parallax, that he would be a huge fan of Copernicus and he would kind of lean toward heliocentrism, that the sun is the center of the earth. False. That is not true. Despite the fact that he observed things orbiting something other than earth, he rejected the idea in working with parallax that space is so big you couldn't measure it. He was like, yeah, I see what you're saying, but there is no way space is that big. He, he could not, again, no telescope, could not conceive of space being that gigantic. So 
he also, this is the thing about his personality. He believed that theory must be supported by experimental evidence. He is a true scientist in the sense that science depends on observation. You and you couldn't you couldn't observe this. You could not observe an experiment with this. So Tycho um, rejected Copernicus' ideas for that reason. It was not a good reason, but it was his reason. But didn't so, you just he, say he observed something orbiting something other than the Earth? So shouldn't he yeah. have gone with that observation? He did go with that observation, but this is so good question. This is what he came up with. He believed that Earth itself was stationary. But then things get a little, little weird. He developed his own kind of hybrid idea about the solar system, and it was used for some time using Aristotle's model and Copernicus' model, and then Tycho's own observations. So he said that the Earth is the center of the universe. It's stationary. And the sun and the moon both revolve around the Earth. But what about the planets? Oh, that's no problem. They all revolve around the sun, which is revolving around the earth. So strike two. Uh, that is also okay, so I, I'm beginning to see why we don't learn about him in science he, or history classes. Because is, and this is this probably is why. Some... Because as, as brilliant as he was, that is an absolute trash way to explain <laughs> how the universe works. Is he, like, doing clown science at this point? I mean... Yeah, it was was not correct. And the only reason I cut him slack is because um, he and Kepler were not... um, As you said, some people really thought that Kepler hated his guts and poisoned him, which he did not do. But Tycho was not, like... This is the guy that had hired a dwarf to be <laughs> a jester. This is a guy that had a moose for a pet. This is a guy that cut off, got his nose cut off because he was like, no, it's Y equals MX plus B, idiot. So, like, I just, he was probably could, not an easy person to get along yeah, with. Yeah, couldn't could have been easy to work with. No, Kepler did not have an easy time working with him, I think. And so, I think Kepler took all of his stuff and he was like, this is good. I'm going to take the things that are not ridiculous and just try some stuff. And that's how Kepler did what he did. Um, so that was what Tycho did. He posited this theory that the Earth is the center of the universe. It's fine. But the sun is circling us. And then the other planets are circling the sun kind of over there. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, that was that was kind of his big thing. Now, I do want to mention um, like this addition to his astronomy stuff was alchemy. We think of alchemy as turning lead to gold, but it's more complicated than that. Um, Alchemy, especially at the time that Tycho was doing it, was a precursor to modern chemistry, um, specifically organic chemistry. Okay, It initially revolved around the search for a way to transform less valuable elements into valuable ones, lead to gold, etc. Initially. But by Tycho's time and what Tycho cared about, it was an early form of, of OCHEM, focusing on discovering and creating remedies to help those that are sick um, with terrible success. They were not good at it. Um, and here's the other thing. Um, people did this work in, in very secret. Newton, Sir Isaac Newton himself, did a lot of alchemy, quote unquote, 
but none of most of the writing doesn't survive because it was it was right up against the edge of witchcraft to some people which was a thing that would get you killed for sure back then um it's hard to find good information on early alchemy because it was very secretive it was very cult like in fact um so yeah right, he had the, his the organic chemist in the room just has to uh i don't know alchemy i don't know deal to me alchemy is dealing with like a lot of the metals and such i mean i know it's not just turning you know lead into gold whatever but i don't know they're working with so many metals and inorganics so it's hard for me to call it an organic an early form of organic chemistry i don't know i gotta split here hairs here sorry i know I just, you have to i just gotta do it gotta and do I knew it that you would. i knew it's that rubbing, you would it's rubbing me wrong guys but but what I'm telling you is they didn't know that mercury was a was going to do what it was going to do. We know that it's a deadly metal, a deadly toxic metal, but they didn't. That's that's why they were like, put it in stuff. I like, mean, maybe call it like early medicine because they, you know, were trying to come with remedies. I could get behind well, early okay. medicine more than organic chemistry. That is fair. And because okay, at fine. some point, organic chemistry and medicine did part ways. So alchemy is the beginning of ochem and and medicine and then ochem split to deal with organic stuff hey i'm just telling you what i read i got you can make you can do you can make that face all you want i am telling guys, you guys we're on a zoom call so we can see each other's faces and i'm face. rolling my she's eyes making she's hardcore making right now because whoever <laughs> wrote that alchemy is early organic i just i can't i just can't i don't like it i don't like it I don't like it. Well, it's a good thing that you weren't live in the 1500s then, because I think there are a lot of things you wouldn't have liked. But that is what my sources said. So I'm, but you, okay. So for everyone else out there, the chemist in the room is saying mm, maybe not. But what I do know is that by the time we got to the 16th century, alchemists realized that transmutations of elements were an absolute waste of time. It's not something you're going to be able to do. You cannot make lead become gold. So the main focus on alchemy was pharmacology. So they had stopped using a lot of metals too by that time. Alchemy really at that point, it is not what we think of alchemy as being with dealing with a lot of metals. It was really dealing with like, how can we keep you from getting syphilis? Um, and all of their suggestions were wrong. <laughs> Super that. wrong. Completely inaccurate. So. Um, so yeah, alchemy is very, it's all, it's very secretive and a lot of work is lost and whatever, but it was a thing that he did. Um, the last thing I want to say about his science is that the Tico Brahe prize was started in 2008 and it was named after him. Um, it's given by the European astronomical society to someone or someones in recognition of the pioneering development or the exploitation of European astronomical instrumentation or major discoveries based on those instruments. So because he was an instruments and measurements guy, the prize is given to people who make significant discoveries using excellent measurements of instrumentation, um, which I think is super cool. And that is uh, the science uh, of Tycho Brahe. All right. Any questions about that? Or did I cover it? Do you want to do you want to harp on the fact that alchemy is not organic anymore? No, I mean I'll just I'll stew about it for a while because you know and I, just, up, I don't like and it. bring it up at some point in the future and you know yeah. talk about it at family gatherings and that kind of thing. That's fine. That's fine. 
Um, I just okay. I'm going to need your source. I'm just going to need those sources. I'm just have to start uh, writing yeah. angry letters or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Listen, it was probably Wikipedia, so you can you can probably go fix it yourself. That's probably Wikipedia. just get on there and be like, no, excuse me, it's not. It's not. It's barely that. So, all right, why don't we take one more quick break and then we will come back and talk about why I appreciate him because I got some stuff to tell you about Trig. And then since this is the first time you've heard his science, you can tell me kind of, you know, do, do you care about this guy at all? You can tell me after this break. Sound good? Sounds great. All right. We are here for our last um, segment on our friend Tico Brahi. And um, let's let's discuss why we care about him. Now it occurred to both of us, like as we took our break that probably the person who did the science about them will have the most to say about why his contributions are important. Would you agree with that, Bren? Yeah, I think that's going to be pretty true. Okay. Then I'm going to let you go first. And like, after having heard what I had to say, like, you know, or you could talk about his biography because I honestly think that having a moose is pretty rad. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm an organic chemist, and math is, like, the thumbs down, um, which is terrible, I know. There are chemists out there who are probably yelling at me, too. Um, it's not like I can't do math. I just don't want to necessarily do it, and organic is just beautiful. Um, so, you know, I guess I can appreciate the whole, let me do all this measurement stuff, and... Um, I do think it's interesting that he um, was willing to at least challenge a lot of the um, views or, or especially Aristotle's theories, even though he way super missed the mark on it. So I can appreciate him for that. Um, And, you know, he worked with Kepler and Kepler Mm -hmm. is obviously really important. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, would Kepler have, you know, come to where he was in science without the influence of Tico. I don't know, maybe, maybe, but maybe not. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think definitely from the science perspective, he was, I mean, I can appreciate him. Mostly. I just really like the fact that he had a fake nose from a duel and a pet moose. And I mean, I don't know. I don't, I mean, the Hamlet thing for me is like, I just really want that to be true because that's like my favorite favorite part about this whole story even though it may or may not be true because y'all I'm I'm such a Shakespeare nerd and a history like oh man that's like right up my wheelhouse so I mean that's what I checks literally every box for you like science Shakespeare history all together like I'm there so yeah I mean that's that's pretty much why I, I really appreciated getting to do the research on his life and um, I mean, I do find, especially his his um, exhumation and how they studied his mm-hmm. bones and hair fragments and really dug into what could have been the cause of, <laughs> dug in, get it, <laughs> they dug they dug him up, <laughs> um, the cause of, of what killed him, you know, from, from that, I mean, because that's very scientific as well, even though it's not his yeah. science, um, that whole thing with um, looking at his body and analyzing what he had and trying to figure out, did he get poisoned and those kinds of things. That's all pretty interesting to me as well. So yeah, I don't know. Pretty BA. Mm-hmm. How to moose. How to, clair- yeah. how to, how to clairvoyant dwarf. I don't know. It's perfect. It's yeah. I think thing you do. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so 
Um, I had mentioned trigonometry when I talked about him, and I am I'm a mathematician absolutely through and through. I'm I'm wearing a math dress today, um, so like his his contribution to trigonometry is really important. Let me like is a short explanation, and I took as much math out of it as possible so people don't dart like people are going to break out in hives when I say math. Anyway, it's fine. People have strong reactions to the word math, as I have come I mean, to I, learn. I mean, I've checked out already, so. Yeah, he's not even listening, so I could say whatever I want. Yeah, um, it's good. So it's fine. Um, so I like that he used trig to measure these astronomical distances using the method, and this was the, mo the thing I was most nervous about is pronouncing this word. I wasn't nervous about anything about today at all. It's our first podcast, whatever. I'm nervous about pronouncing this word. Prosthephoresis. Have you ever heard of this word, prosthephoresis? I did not. Nope. I listened to someone on the internet say it probably 400 times so that I could pronounce it. Um, and But it's an awesome word. It comes from the Greek words for um, addition and subtraction because, like, that's what it is. It's So what's it for? What's it do? I'll tell you. So before Tycho, the celestial navigation of ships right? They were using the stars um, and they relied on huge, gigantic charts that were prepared by astronomers that detailed the position of stars and planets at various points in time because they thought it was immutable, right? It's not. Um, but that's what they did. And it took forever. And it took a lot of long multiplication to make these charts. Um, mathematicians, and Tycho was actually a very good mathematician. That's why he was the court mathematician in Prague. Um, if you were a good mathematician and also an astronomer, which Tico was, he was like, there's no way that I'm going to take the time to do this. Um, so there's got to be a better way. And there was. So he used trigon trigonometric identities, um, sine, cosine, tangent, and, and their identity properties, which I'm not going to go into because, again, people's eyes are rolling back in their heads already. There are she, just she just watched mine. Uh, she, she, she probably literally could see her spinal cord. Anyway, they use trigonometric identities to follow this process of multiplication and division and cut out tons of normal computational work. So that, pro that this prosthephoresis was becoming well used beginning in the late 1500s. Um, and Tycho didn't lay out the method, but he was a huge fan and he used it all the time. Um, but prosthephoresis also takes time as well. There's calculations that need to be done and you have to know trig and not everybody did. Um, John Napier is an, who a very, very well-known mathematician, very famous guy. He used prosthephoresis until he got sick of it. And he was like, oh, there's gotta be a better way than this too. He was like, you know what? I'm gonna invent logarithms and did it. So we went from star charts, celestial star charts, that were inaccurate because the heavens are not immutable to prosthephoresis, which was great, but still not perfect. It took a lot of time to John Napier, who was like, screw this logarithms. And that's what he did. Um, like, but lots of people were using prosthephoresis. Copernicus mentioned it in his 1543 work. It was a thing. And I'm glad that, that it was. And I'm glad that Tico made use of it because now we have logarithms and logarithms are much, much easier. So, that is why I am thankful for Tycho Brahe and all of his wonderful maths. So 
All right. All right. So, well, should, should we talk sources really quickly? We can talk sources. I did not have a lot of books um, on this one. I had, like, I went to space.com, the Galileo Project, Wikipedia, mm-hmm. of course. I found a cool website called Before Newton that talked a lot about parallax and, like, what it was like to deal with pre-telescope stuff. Um, and then um, the two books that I used were, were, they were the kids science books. They were, um, they're by Dr. J. Wiley and they're science in the ancient world and they're science in the scientific revolution. They're from Berean builders and they're really great science texts for elementary age um, homeschool children. I love them. Um, and they had a lot of the stuff about Tico in there. It mentioned the moose in fact. So, huh. um, so yeah, so that, that those are my sources. Yeah, I had uh, a lot of the same ones. I didn't really get a lot of books. Um, I think I had uh, an article from Smithsonian Magazine, like online. Um, and then, you know, I told you, I went down the rabbit hole of looking into like his the analysis of his body. So there was one called Rich Table, but Short Life, Diffuse Idiopathic Skeletal Hyperostosis and Danish Astronomer Tycho Brahe and its Possible Consequences. So these are like some legit journal articles. Um, read another one about detection of mercury in the 411 year old beard hairs of the astronomer Tycho Brahe by elemental analysis and electron microscopy, which guys, that one was so cool. Electron micros- microscopy is so cool. And the fact that they did it on his hair from 400 years ago it's just I don't know I get so excited I'm nerding out right now you guys this was those were some of my favorite journal articles that I read uh, besides you know like the moose and the dwarf and stuff like that but yeah so I actually I told you I I got real journal articles legit journal articles because you're like a real a real PhD of things so I like what I I do so yeah so some really cool science about the analysis of his body but yeah mostly you know Britannica and Smithsonian Magazine and Galileo Project too as well so yeah that's about it for me all right so yeah so uh that is Tico Brahe he's wonderful he is a badass um and I, I think you're right I think that he really he's an archetype but uh he just out outstretched outmatches outlasts outwits outplays pretty much most of everybody else in the entire universe um and if you don't agree that's fine because as we discussed with this episode all depends on your point of view and um our point of view is that tico brahi is a badass true true all right then we will sign off for the night um we'll talk next week about our next guy who i'm very excited about and um me too oh i know you are he was your idea so it's gonna be great Um, So in the meantime, live dangerously, do science.